Welcome to the APTA podcast. On October 28th, we recorded a video dialogue with Yusra Iftikhar, Christina Holland, and Ivana Salazar on the topic of body image and physical therapy. Here's that discussion. Hey y'all, my name is Yusra Iftikhar. I use she, her pronouns, and I am your APTA student's director of communications. Welcome to my last solo APTA live student night. And on the next one, I'll be joined by the incoming director of communications. So if you're a student APTA member, please be sure to go vote for your next student assembly board of directors. And you can do that now online. Speaking of being a student, introduce yourself down in the comments if you're watching live. Let us know if you're a student, new grad, PT, PTA, or anyone else and where you're joining us from. I am very excited about tonight's topic. We're talking about a lot of things, body image, body dysmorphia, pelvic health, mental health, yoga, and how all of that relates to physical therapy, education, and practice. It is my pleasure to introduce our guests for tonight. Uh, we've got Christina Holland and Ivana Salazar. Ivana, pronounce your last name for me. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm, Salazar. Okay, found our fire. You also got married, so congrats yeah. on that as well. Uh, all right, welcome to the show. Uh, it is so good to have you here. I've never gotten so many messages um, saying how excited people were to hear from you both. So if you don't mind just introducing yourselves uh, to the audience, Ivana, we'll start with you and then Christina. Um, so I am Ivana Salazar Fryer. I'm a PTA in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm currently working for a company called Results Physiotherapy doing orthopedic and pelvic health. And I also am a yoga instructor. And I'm Christina. Oh, sorry, Yusra. Um, I'm Christina and I am in Denver, Colorado. And I split my time at a local nonprofit hospital and also for my own private practice, inclusive care. All right. So I think it could be really helpful for everyone to hear about your practice, um, what types of patients you're working with on a day to day, just so we can kind of set the stage for everything going forward. So, Ivana, if you don't mind telling uh, the group, um, what does your patient demographic look like? What led you to to be in that setting um, and anything else that you think we should know? So um, here in Louisville, I'm actually a float uh, now, so I go to all of our local locations doing ortho and pelvic. Um, so different parts of the city really just brings on much different clientele. So I have my rural folk and my urban folk, and it keeps it really interesting and busy. Um, I'm originally from West Virginia, and both of my parents are physical therapists, so I kind of don't know how to do oh, wow. a lot of anything else. Um, <laughs> but I graduated um, from a small school in Maine. So okay kind of bringing in um, a lot of different um, backgrounds and education. And I did home health for quite some time, um, but I wanted to have the opportunity to kind of see what came next. So I had a lot of clientele and I got them back um, from, you know, post, um, post-op or acute care. And I got them back into their normal living routines safely, but then that was it. So um, getting people to get, to a place in their lives where they can go back to the activities that they thoroughly enjoyed or get to do something that they haven't been able to do in a very long time was something that I wanted to give a try. So here we are. Yeah. And real quick, so you're not currently teaching yoga, correct? Um, But when you, okay, when you did teach, um, how long did you teach for and what, what did that setting look like? So, um, taught yoga for about five years 
um, okay. the past five years. I uh, took a break about a year and a half ago, and then, you know, the world exploded, so I'm not teaching right. in the studio right now. Um, but taught several different clientele, and I do have um, certifications in uh, Hatha yoga, which is more of like a freestyle uh, kind of yoga encompassing any of the styles that you really choose, um, and also Shaya yoga. So it's a like a rehabilitation based and very um, physical uh, fundamentals. Um, so working towards getting my certification in um, yoga therapy after that. Okay. So kind of not only just for general health and wellness, but also for injury prevention or rehabilitation and using yoga as a way to do that. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's what an amazing kind of combination of like your two interests too. I love that. Christina, what about you? Yeah, so I work at the hospital that I work at. It's a nonprofit community safety net hospital. So we see a lot of people who have Medicaid insurance, um, which has been really awesome. So I see not, I see some people from a rural community, but not like Ivana. Um, I, we do have people who travel into the city for pelvic floor physical therapy because there is not a lot of access elsewhere, mm -hmm. especially for people who have Medicaid. Um, we also have an integrative pelvic health team. So I'm part of a couple different teams. I'm part of an integrative pelvic health team. So there are eight different types of providers and we meet once a month to discuss complex cases, um, all for people who are having complex chronic pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm also part of a team that is post-operative vaginoplasty. So I see trans women after bottom surgery and help them use dilators to be able to use their pelvic floor, their genitals um, for whatever they would like to. And then I'm also part of like, I see postpartum and pregnant folks um, in the women's care clinic. And then I also am in outpatient PT. So kind of a big mix. Um, yeah. And then in my private practice, I'm all private pay. So I don't contract with any insurance companies. Um, and so I primarily there, it's still sort of a mix. I see a lot of people who are having dyspnea or painful intercourse um, and chronic pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So really, really diverse group of people there that both of you are saying. So I think that's really great. Um, so I'm guessing that that brings up a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So even a topic like body image, if we focus on that one thing that probably presents in so many different ways, um, not just a, among your patients, but probably among your colleagues, maybe in yourself. Um, if you're comfortable sharing, do you, either of you have a history with body image issues? Is that something that you ever deal with? And has that come into play maybe when you were a student or now that you're a provider? Sure. I mean, I feel like as growing up as a cis young woman to then become a cis woman, there's a lot of pressure put on cisgender women. Um, right. And certainly from my own, from my own experience, I've like absolutely struggled with, you know, appearances and, and basically what I anticipated that my body should look like versus what it actually looked like. Um, which then becomes extra interesting when you add in injuries, right? And things that are going to impact your general lifestyle or a pandemic where you don't have access to gyms or, you know, anything like that that's going to throw a wrench in what you into basically what you do to keep your body looking the way that you might want it to look. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like who doesn't, you know, at one point or another, and it doesn't have to be an extreme. Um, but who, yeah, it's, it's hard to be a woman. I mean, there's a reason why not everybody can do it. So it's, <laughs> just, 
when do you when do you not have that day where you put on your jeans and they feel a little bit tighter and you or you see somebody then you're just like damn i love your hair <laughs> and you just feel a little bit tweaked for a second we sure yeah no i totally hear that um that makes me think of just because I want to make sure I share too. It's not fair if I don't, but um, I remember last APTA live, I texted um, my APTA mentor halfway through being like, oh my God, is my face always that crooked <laughs> and like lopsided, like while my guest was talking to me. Um, so yeah, so it seems like these things come up a lot, um, but I'm interested in hearing your thoughts then on why sometimes this becomes a taboo topic. Um, I was thinking about this a lot all day about how for me, body image is something that is always on my mind, whether I'm eating, exercising, sleeping, you know, relaxing with family, I'm always thinking about body image. So for me, it makes sense that there's overlap with physical therapy and what I do. But for someone for whom that's not a huge issue, and they're like, well, this isn't PT, or how many things could we possibly juggle? Um, what would you, what would you say to those people? How has this come up in your practice, I guess? It comes up in my practice all the time, all the time, um, especially working with transgender folks or gender non-binary folks, because there's, mm -hmm. there's different, there's like, there's so many levels. And so for a lot of my patients who are gender non-conforming or were born into a body that doesn't feel like theirs, body image is extra complicated. And how do you differentiate what is like a body image issue and what is dysphoria? And also like for a little bit added of a just mind blowing moment, um, what would happen if we removed a lot of the ideas that we have about what bodies are supposed to look like for certain genders and what sure. who would still feel dysphoria um, and who wouldn't, I think is just a really interesting idea. Um, yeah. and then I think part of the reason that we don't talk about it as a professional all the time is I think it's, I listened to my colleagues speak and my, my classmates when I was in school. And I think a lot of us have some internalized body image stuff, um, mm -hmm. that isn't that like, I think we rationally know it comes from a place that is, isn't, isn't rational, like is internalized patriarchy a lot of the time, white supremacy some of the time. Um, and so just figuring out what to do with that information when we feel like, oh, but regardless of what my rational brain knows, like I should feel differently about this. Sure. I want to follow up too. So do you try to tell a difference between body image issue and dysphoria? Or is that something that you maybe work closely with other providers to help patients work through? I let people tell me what they think it is if they bring it up. Okay. So whatever, however someone self-identifies it, um, I just let, let it stand with that. It doesn't very much matter to, to me either way. We, we, you know, just move along in whatever way feels comfortable for them. Sure. Yeah. Ivana, did you want to add anything on like taboo topics and why that might be? So I think that one of um, the things that I notice, especially just in um, outpatient ortho is it's funny to me um, how people just assume so much that you have your entire life together. Um, you know, you're working on people that are in pain or they're having an injury and things like that. And there I get asked how many times a day, like, oh, and, and can you go work out after this? Or, oh, you don't you don't know what it's like to have pain. And, oh, if you only mm. knew. And it kind of puts you in a position where you're just like, I'm also a human. And 
sure you know, I'm, I'm educating you and i'm i'm trying to help you but at the same time i i i have aches and pains and lifting your leg is not the funnest thing for me to do right now um and that's okay but it's it took me personally it took me a while to kind of um just from work you know we have everything else in the outside world but just in work with realizing i don't have everything together and i feel I would used to feel bad when people would kind of point that out to me. And then I'm like, I should do more. And how can I be teaching you if I'm not doing the same? And while I think mm. that that's very important, I'm also like, no, my back does hurt today. And that's okay. Right. Absolutely. That you have pain and so do I, and here we are together and we can get through this together. Um, and I don't think that it's, it's, uh, one, it's not, or it's taboo, I guess is the word that we're going to be using now. It's, it's not taboo to kind of minimize yourself to comfort somebody else's idea um, mm. or give into their thoughts of how they should be feeling and to take the brunt of all of that onto yourself. Right, right. And I think too, so um, Ivana, we know each other because uh, I worked with you at my first clinical rotation. I was a student at Results in Louisville. Um, and I remember for me, like I said, body image is something I'm thinking about all the time. So it's it's really common for me to go into a space and feel like, oh, I'm the biggest one here. Oh, I don't belong. Or, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be a terrible therapist because I'm the biggest one here. And I remember how powerful it was for me to see kind of early in the morning, like you and our other coworkers, like working on each other and like helping each other out, you know, and like um, talking very openly about like what's bothering you and, and everything that's going on. Um, and I loved how comfortable I was. I mean, you know how much I love that rotation and just love being there. And I love that that openness, I feel like, is what made me feel like I belong. So, you know, kind of why wouldn't that also be the case maybe for patients, too? So I always just really appreciated that. Um, with both of you being in pelvic health in some capacity, working with patients with pelvic health concerns, do you find that body image concerns seem to come up more with those patients or is it just kind of across the board? Uh, Christina, we'll start with you and then go to Ivana. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, it comes up a lot, right? Because we get, I have to talk to people about not sucking their stomachs in all the time um, mm. because we do that. TA activates, which can activate pelvic floor because they're co-contractors. And so now all of a sudden, if you have persistent pelvic pain um, and you're adding in this like, oh my gosh, I have to be as small as humanly possible and I couldn't possibly let my stomach out, um, it is definitely impactful in people's care. Sure, yeah. Ivana, what do you think? I mean, I 100% I agree with that. I, I think that teaching diaphragmatic breathing is something that is much harder than you would anticipate it to be because you have to let go of that tension in your core and you have to let yourself be a little lax and be a little bit bigger than you might feel comfortable being for just a moment. Um, and that's that's difficult for people to wrap their head around, but also, um, I feel that, you know, when women have the courage to come forward and say that they have an issue in something that is not really um, a comfortable topic to speak of, they feel a little less than um, either, like you said, uh, after just having a baby or maybe they're just having an, an issue that they seem to feel is a little bit embarrassing to them. And so absolutely, I feel like I get a lot more of... Um, those heart to heart moments with my pelvic patients than I do my ortho for sure. Sure. And so thinking about um, those patients in which 
either they bring up something or um, where you feel like there might be some component of like um, they're uncomfortable kind of being on display, like out in the clinic, for example, how do you bring up potentially sensitive topics with patients if they don't bring it up first? Do you or do you wait for, for them to feel comfortable enough to open up if you feel like it's impacting their care and their treatment? I'll normally bring it up. I'll, a lot of these things really lend themselves to me to be pretty easy to discuss in terms of this is a systemic problem. It's not a problem with you personally. Um, Cause we can, we can recognize that lots of cisgender women and lots of trans women and lots of trans folks and non-binary folks and lots of, frankly, lots of cisgender men as well. Although I think that's much less discussed um, have body image concerns. And right. now that it's, cultural narrative that we're at least aware of, um, I'm pretty, com- I like, we'll just throw it out there. I'm like, yeah. And so, you know, lots of people spend a lot of time with their stomach suction um, because of patriarchy. And I will just call it like, like it is in the clinic and people will either agree and like nod along. And I'm like, okay, we're here or they don't. And fine either way, yeah. I can teach you to breathe into your belly regardless of why you think you're clenching your stomach. Right. Right. Yeah. I definitely bring it up because you're here to feel better and I'm here to help you get there. And so if I kind of, uh, you know, push it on, sweep it under the rug and let you get by with it, then I'm not doing you any favors. So this is a safe space. Let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. And both of you've got some experience. So for those of us who are students or new grads, are there any like hints that you can pick up on in people that you think, Oh, this might be a component of why they may be uncomfortable, why they might not be opening up, why the exercises might not be going as well. Or is it just too variable person to person? Um, that, that comment made me think too about dysphoria. Sorry, just back one quick question about Please. things I don't talk about is I do not bring up dysphoria in people because I don't know. I don't know if I don't want to assume that people who are living the trans experience have dysphoria because not all people do and certainly non-trans mm-hmm. can also have dysphoria. So um, I don't ask questions about that. I will leave room and like maybe we'll talk about, cause I certainly want to know if people are wearing binders for example, or um, if they're tucking or things like that. And so then it, we might talk about those things, but I won't, I won't ask direct questions about dysphoria and I don't really ask direct questions about, the way people feel about their bodies. I just kind of mm-hmm. speak like we're talking about, like we're assuming that people are holding a lot of tension in their abdomen. And I will often ask people like, do you find yourself clenching your stomach throughout your day? Is that related to, do you have anything that you know that that's related to? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in terms of what you can look for in the clinic is what are people's breathing patterns? Are people letting their stomachs go um, when you're doing, if you're trying to do diaphragmatic breathing specifically or, um, if you're doing pull downs with straight arms or if you're doing um, some type of squat, like what are people's breathing patterns looking like? Um, yeah. And then I also ask a lot of questions about leaking, um, which is easier because I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. But even right. when I was ortho, it was something that I talked about a lot um, because tons of people are leaking and just it never gets asked. So no one ever says, oh, yeah, that's me. Um, and when that's happening, oftentimes, especially if it's during higher level activity, it's because of a lot of, it's a pressure mismanagement thing, right? So that's mm-hmm. another thing good to ask about and then might indicate to you that something's going on. Yeah, perfect. Ivana, anything to add? It's okay if not. Um, I mean, looking at people's body mechanics or, you know, 
how they hold themselves. And a lot of times um, I kind of always keep my ears open to, to comments or little jokes and things like that. And I find that keeping my personality light in the clinic is always very important um, because I want people to feel comfortable, but I also, you know, if we can make light out of something that maybe you find or feel is a little bit embarrassing, then you might be a little more comfortable talking to me about it. But right. at the same time, if I, if I notice they're constantly making um, comments about, you know, I'm so big, I might roll off the table or I, you know, I can't do that or my big belly or this, that, and the other. And then, you know, like, let's, let's kind of like tone it down a second and talk about how, what is, what is safe for your body and what your body needs right now and what's maybe not giving your body a fighting chance at this and kind of put it in terms that make them feel that it's, it's okay to be, it's okay to be a little out of your comfort zone. Sure. Yeah. I love how, how you phrase that too, of um, there's so many things in a physical therapy practice that are going to put patients out of their comfort zone. And we can argue that that's what you need for growth, for recovery, for healing. Right. And so this is kind of just one of those things. So instead of, you know, a patient saying, oh gosh, I can't do that. I'm so fat. And you immediately saying, oh no, you're not. Or, or the classic, like, no, you're not. You're beautiful. Right. Which there's so many problems inherently with that as well. I love that it's, well, let's think about what you truly need to feel better. Like you're here for a purpose. I'm here to help you. And like, you know, I'm here to help every person. Um, doesn't matter, you know, what you look like. I just want you to feel better. Um, and I'm sure the patients want that too. So I really love that, that framing of it as well. Um, Christina, you talked a lot about working with trans patients. And um, I was wondering if at all, how your language has changed around body image and kind of your attentiveness to a person's body image um, since you started working with trans patients? That's an interesting question. Um, I don't think I spend a lot more time thinking about their body image necessarily. I do think okay. that what it did make me more aware of is, you know, we're, we're constantly in physical therapy talking about the nervous system and how lots of our interventions are helping to make people's nervous systems feel safe. Um, and so when I started treating transgender and non-conform gender non-conforming folks, it was like, Oh, something that might be making their nervous system feel safe is feeling like they're in a body that doesn't feel familiar or doesn't feel safe. Like their body might not feel safe to them. Which right did change the way that I spoke about bodies in general. So I'm very hesitant to use any sort of like gendered language, even around pelvises, which is arguably the most gendered language <laughs> that we have. Um, and so it's kind of, I guess, indirectly in that way, I guess you could say that it, I do think about body image more, but I didn't really perceive it that way. That's not how I had internalized it. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, and Ivana, kind of on the same same train of thought there, um, in your yoga practice, uh, did you notice once you started um, teaching yoga or, you know, whichever one came second, whichever one, whether it was your job as a PTA or your job as a yoga instructor, whichever one you went into second, did you notice any shift in the way that you talk about bodies, movement and exercise? Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I, I taught yoga first. Um, again, I was, you know, I've been surrounded by physical therapy my entire life, but it's the terminology that you use is very different when you're in the clinic and you're telling somebody to move their foot a certain way, you're not going to say to shine your foot to the <laughs> right or anything like that. Um, right. so using the term 
using those terms definitely, but I, I, I think that I probably bring in some yoga terminology into the clinic a lot more frequently than people realize that I do. Um, mm-hmm. just to make sense of it. And, you know, you can, you can use your big words and you can use your anatomy lingo and you can use all of these things all day long. And somebody's probably going to look at you like you have three heads at some point. So, you know, sometimes, <laughs> uh, explaining a stretch in a couple different ways might make sense to them and it might allow them to have a click moment. And I think that having that in my back pocket, um, definitely helps out, but just I think the biggest thing that I bring to when I leave the mat and I come into my PT world is sequence. I, mm. I, I pick sources of movement that I think would work for them and I pick them in a way that I think would work for them. Um, and then I come up with ways that they can do that at home and then they can realize this is a far more feasible thing for me to do um, than I originally thought. And it's, it seems a lot less intimidating um, when you go home and you're sitting at your desk, when you don't have a weight machine next to you or, you know, giant Swiss balls of many colors and you can figure out this is the same movement and my body's going to move the same. I just have to figure out the way that works best for my body to move. So yeah, I use absolutely. Yeah. So I do, um, stay on this topic of language for a second. So, um, I had a question come in from my Instagram community um, asking, well, how should we respond if patients say something about gaining like the COVID-19, basically gaining weight during this time of COVID? A lot of us are quarantined um, and some people may have gained weight. Um, one, have you heard that at all? And how would you you know, advise addressing it? Um, and two, I guess, do you do you talk about like BMI with patients? Do you weigh patients when they come into the clinic? Is is weight something that um, you focus on at all or not so much? I don't talk about weight at all. Like I don't okay. ever. Um, in our clinic, we have, so if, if you were going to see a provider and they, they might ask you, would you like to be weighed today? Which I personally love. Um, I then also went and was seen in my clinic and I Need, they needed to weigh me because it was my first appointment with a PCP. Um, and but they didn't mention anything. They didn't tell me the numbers. They didn't make me look at it. They just like I just kind of diverted my my attention and my eyes because it wasn't something that I wanted to spend time in my brain with today. And then uh, yeah. they wrote it down. and We moved right along. So um, I don't talk about it. Certainly, it comes up. Uh, yes, lots of people are very mm-hmm. uncomfortable with the weight gain that's been happening. Um, and I just try and reframe it for people and it's the same thing that I'm trying to do for myself. I'm trying to reframe it for myself too, to be frank. Um, and it's like, all right, yeah. So this body might be heavier than it was before. And also it's getting me through a pandemic and then, and just like a completely bonkers and stressful election cycle. And also like allowing me, it's a vessel for all the things that I'm doing. And if I have to buy new pants, I have to buy new pants. (laughs) Right. Right. When you say some people say, I am some people who hasn't gained weight right now. Like, let's just be real honest. But, I mean, it's just, I feel like weight is such a touchy subject. And the the idea of BMI just makes my brain hurt because, like, that's not what this test is designed for. So you just, like, shove it. I don't want to talk about it. Um, but, uh, you know, just like what you were saying, Christina, I mean, here's the bottom line is your body 
is incredible. And everybody that is listening to this and everybody that had, you know, will be watching this later on, you have all made a very conscious effort to study and appreciate the human body. You decided to dedicate your life um, to studying and appreciating the human body. And so stop being so mean to it. You know, you wouldn't do that to your phone. You wouldn't do it to your car. <laughs> I see people treat their phones better than they do themselves. So your body works so hard for you and it gets you up every day. It gets you moving. It puts that cheeseburger in your mouth and it's going to walk it off later on. It does all of these things without question, without hesitation. And all you're giving it back is negativity. So you want to do it to something else in your life if you wanted it to work. Stop doing it to yourself. Stop being so mean. It's crazy. Thanks, oh gosh. That. that was the pep talk I needed. Thank you. I know. Same. I was You're welcome. Say, what a mic drop. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, honestly, that was BMI, amazing. BMI gets me heated. It gets me heated. Well, my next question was going to be, what do you think about BMI as a marker for health? But I feel like I know where Ivana stands. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with garbage. It's going to be the worst. <laughs> Um, it comes up, I think the only reason I even think about BMI is because, well, one, it's in my EMR, especially when I'm at the hospital. Um, and I really only think about it in terms of surgical outcomes. Um, and like what, because sometimes, especially again, in the transgender community, if people want gender affirming surgery, um, or frankly, honestly, if people like people want total hip replacements, they, mm -hmm. they do BMI, right? So they're, they're predictive. Yeah. They're using BMI to predict outcomes. Um, and decide whether or not people can have a surgery. So when you're talking about like, I don't like talking about weight and I don't ever bring it up. Um, mm -hmm. But people not only in relation to COVID, people will bring it up because they're like, well, I have to lose the weight to get the surgery that I need. Um, right. So that's a whole thing that I, I have to address, right? Like I, we have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I try and just keep it as neutral as possible, as weight neutral as possible. Like you're not a better person because if you lose this 25 pounds, you are just a person who then gets to have the total hip surgery that you want if you lose these 25 pounds. Um, yeah. And sometimes it comes up with prolapse and things. And sometimes what I really try to redirect is when people are like, well, I know that if I lost weight, I wouldn't have pain. And that's mm -hmm. that we have pretty frequently in terms of okay, well, we don't actually have any data to suggest that if you were thin, you wouldn't have pain. And also I see lots of fat people who have no pain at all. Um, mm -hmm. Or rather, maybe I don't see them because probably if they don't have pain, they're not in my office. But there, I know that I know lots of people of all sorts of weights that do not have any pain. Um, and so I always try and reframe that because I think that can be something that drives people's nervous system into that kind of upregulated state. Absolutely. And I have a follow-up question for you um, about that and about social media and TikTok. Um, but first, I want to take a, just a quick break to do a couple of announcements. Uh, all right, everyone. Um, first of all, thank you for tuning in tonight. Um, registration for APTA National Student Conclave is open now. The APTA student member social media pages, um, Instagram in particular, has some really great information on NSC registration, what it means to attend NSC virtually, and stories from past attendees on their experiences and what they got out of NSC. Um, and if you are like me, uh, like the first couple years of PT school and have no idea what NSC even is, um, the social media pages are really great for that as well. Uh, so NSC is happening this year um, on November 4th through 8th. So it's coming up very soon. Um, at NSC, also, there's going to be of 
uh, my current student assembly board of directors to the next one. So um, you can vote right now in elections. If you're a student and an APTA member, you just go online for that, um, enter in your APTA number and you can vote for uh, your, your next student assembly board of directors. And they've got candidate statements up there. They've got videos up there. I highly recommend you check those out. Um, I've been amazed by how great virtual conferences seem to be going for me, honestly. But I also think that um, it is hard losing out on that uh, in-person factor of getting to know the candidates. Um, and so they have worked very, very hard on putting together these videos and these candidate statements so that you can get to know them um, as best as possible in a virtual format. So please do check those out. Um, talking a little bit more about NSC, just some of the events and discussion I'm looking forward to at NSC this year include my own. I'll be on a panel with my friends, uh, Student Assembly Board of Directors Secretary Alec Flynn, uh, Duke DPT third years Alexis Lacewell and Sarah Bellin, and physical therapist Michael Cromarty, who you might remember from the June APTA Live, will be discussing fostering allyship and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and bringing up some of the topics that we're talking about here as well. Uh, some more sessions to look out for include entrepreneurship in physical therapy and thinking beyond patient care on Thursday, November 5th. That's a live one. Uh, a live panel on Special Olympics and inclusive health and fitness from both health professionals and athletes on Friday, November 6th. There are gonna be networking breakout rooms on multiple nights with students and new grads on topics like excelling in your clinical rotations, pursuing residency and avoiding burnout. Additionally, there are some really solid on-demand sessions, uh, meaning those are not live, so you can access them anytime the week of NSC. And I believe you can access them for the rest of the year, though someone correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there's one on House of Delegates with my classmate and your SBT delegate, Mitch Lane, and Vice Speaker of the House, Kyle Covington. There's a session on Travel Physical Therapy 101, PT Careers in the Military, Adaptive Sports, Physical Therapy in the Emergency Department, and so much more. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw that I said the sessions I'm looking forward to most at NSC are all of them. Um, there's a really great lineup coming up, so very, very excited. Um, go ahead, get registered. You get a discount if you register in a group of 10, um, and you also get 50% off your CSM registration if you register for NSC, which is huge. Uh, if you got any questions, um, send them into APTA. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, so I said I wanted to talk about TikTok. Christina, I've spent all day <laughs> watching your TikToks. Um, they are gold uh, and they're absolutely what I needed. Um, there's one that I think might be my favorite and it's where you talk about exactly what you just mentioned before we went to the break, which is um, plenty of fat people don't have pain. And just because you're fat doesn't mean that either you need to be in pain or that you like, deserve to be in pain. So can you talk a little bit about just being on social media, talking about quote unquote uncomfortable topics? And uh, do you ever get uncomfortable talking about those things? Are you pretty well able to kind of push back people's ideas of what's taboo and provide the information that you know your audience needs? Yeah, it's a good question. So I have a lot of practice talking about awkward things on the internet. Um, okay. I, I wrote a sex column when I was in college. So that really did me a solid in terms of being used to whatever the internet kind of throws at me. Um, it, yeah, it was great. I'm glad I did it. And also it translates, those skills translate very well into what I do for a living now, sure. which is hilarious because I had no idea that was how it was all going to work out. Um, <laughs> I had a pelvic surgery when I was in PT school. And so I wrote about and talked about um, my own vagina on the internet, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. and what I had experienced, what it felt like, what it was like navigating the medical system. Um, and so all of that really made it a lot easier to manage Instagram. Um, 
I will say the amount of feedback I'm getting is increasing all of the time. Um, and I just hit 10,000 followers, which is also not something I ever thought would be happening in my life. Um, so that comes with a whole new set of challenges in terms of like trolls and people that are not yeah. necessarily my people. Um, yeah. I will say, and I know we we kind of talked about that earlier. It's like, I just can't believe the things that people will say on the internet. Right. And, okay. It's like bonkers. Um, <laughs> not okay. Uh, that being said, I also have a whole bunch of privilege because I am a white lady and I like fit. I have, I wear straight sizes and fit West, some Western beauty ideals. Right. So I think I actually get less crap than a lot of people who would talk about the same thing would on the internet. Um, so I really like it. It's been great. TikTok's been really interesting. It's nice for me to be, it's a way to be a little bit sassy in a, in a structured and, um, like, culturally appropriate way it's a way that like using some of the foul language and stuff that tiktok is has in the audios um has been really good for my soul yeah (laughs) right i would highly recommend everyone go check out christina's tiktok and instagram reels um which is a new feature basically it's the instagram version of tiktok uh and i think they're really great honestly they make me feel a lot more comfortable bringing up certain things because like christina said talking about like foul language and more of like a Gen Z type environment. I think it's been um, for me really great to watch those and feel a little bit more affirmed in kind of what I'm feeling, but then also the fact that I still deserve to feel better as a, as a PT patient myself. Um, uh, I, I do have a question for you too about um, one of your Instagram reels in particular, you mentioned providing affirming and trauma-informed care. Um, I think you've got an Instagram highlight on that as well. So just for those of us who don't know what that means, could you explain that and what sort of training you went through? Yeah, so trauma-informed care, the, basically the main, the, the thing that is most foundational to trauma-informed care is recognizing how ubiquitous trauma is, so how far-reaching it is, how many people it affects, um, and then doing everything you can to not unintentionally trigger someone in an interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, And so in terms of training, I have just been seeking out a ton of information about it. I've listened to a bunch of webinars. Uh, I kind of go outside of the physical therapy practice um, Mm -hmm. in more like people who are providing behavioral health services primarily because they do a lot of, and actually teachers and guidance counselors talk a lot about providing trauma-informed services, trauma-informed teaching, et cetera. Um, And I recognize like in my own journey with the medical system, I, it made, it made things make a lot more sense for me. So when I had that pelvic surgery, I rec- I underwent, I, um, medical trauma and I knew mm-hmm. that having these big sympathetic nervous system reactions to things that I absolutely could not control, even though my, my rational brain was like, this is not an appropriate response to what is happening in this moment. Right. Um, so once I started learning about trauma informed care, it was like, oh, now I totally understand what was happening and I really don't want to do this to other people unintentionally. And so how can I avoid that? Um, That being said, there's not a lot about it in the physical therapy profession. There's not nearly enough about it, in my opinion, in um, pelvic health. And so Mm -hmm. that's like on my to-do list of things I would like to do would be to continue, would be to start teaching people about trauma-informed care and how I manage it in the clinic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is a question for both of you. Are there any trainings, any resources, like books, podcasts, et cetera, that you would want to recommend to the audience? Um, 
something that came to mind just now when you were talking, Christina, is um, the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, have either of y'all read that by chance? It's I'm a lot. Quarters of the way through it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, for me, like it really hits home personally and it's a lot about um, kind of trauma and how that presents in the body um, and sort of physical symptoms that a person might have, which I think is just so salient for our profession. Um, but is there anything else that you've seen, um, whether inside of our profession or outside that you think could help the, the students and the grads and everyone else listening in today? I would love to hear Ivana's take from all of the, the yoga stuff and things that you do. Yeah. yeah. So um, one of the things that we learn um, about trauma is when you are relating it to um, in the animal world, and it's something that I never really noticed and now I can't unsee it. Um, but when, for instance, if a, if a gazelle is at a watering hole and drinking, and a lion were to run up behind the gazelle and attack the gazelle. The gazelle makes it, don't panic, gazelle makes it, it's safe, it <laughs> runs off. And the first thing that the animal does when it's um, safe is it shakes. It shakes its body, um, head to toe, shakes everything, and moves on. And the reason being is it lets go of what just happened. And it has to let go of what just happened to move on to something else. And we don't do that physically or mentally, emotionally, we do that. And so we hold on to that. And one of the things that we learned, um, and for yoga therapy is, um, releasing that. And I don't know if you've noticed it doing pelvic, I've noticed it more doing pelvic, um, or even just any type of like skin manipulation, even on ortho, you can start doing something, um, on somebody, a post-surgical scar or anything like that. And they will just start weeping. And have no idea why and or you know laughing or something will just overtake them and they they can't fully explain it but it's because you're shaking you're you're letting go of what trauma you've been holding in that section of your body for this entire time and you didn't know how to get rid of it and so i think that teaching somebody that you know yes you went through this and yes you experienced something and that is completely valid and fair now we have to this is how we move on. And it's not, it's not belittling what you went through and it's not belittling what you're feeling, but it's, this is how we recognize it. This is how we accept it. And this is how we move forward. And I mm. agree with you. I was born with um, a uterine condition and I've had, I don't know, five or six laparoscopic procedures throughout my life. And it's something that I have to deal with every single day. And I didn't ask for this and I didn't, you know, buy it on Amazon on and then didn't come in the way that I liked it. I, it's just a card that was dealt to me. Um, but when I found out about it, I was 16. Like, how do you have surgery at 16 and have all of these things happening to you and know how to handle that? You, you don't, right. nobody does. So, you know, learning how to, to shake off what, um, what just happened to you and be able to move on and move forward and not hold on to it any longer is I think something that we can all find our lingo to do and to provide to our people. Yeah. Best sayings. You have the best sayings about, um, I didn't buy it. you have the best sayings. I didn't buy it on Amazon. Just it's not like it just came in the wrong color. It just they makes it. Yeah. Mad, so. You can't send it back. You know, it's not a choice that you make. You shouldn't feel bad about it because it's just something that happened. Yeah. They should put Ivana quotes on Pinterest. 
Yes. That's going to be like my whole thing. <laughs> it's just your face. I love that. There's actually a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And it's that same idea of, of they either make it or they don't. And that's kind of it. They don't hold on to it. They don't ruminate. Um, and that's such a cool story that like gazelles literally shake it off and then they move on. Um, and of course, yeah. as humans, like it's, yeah. Yeah, you picked yeah. up a dog in and the shelter it, and it bonded you. It didn't hold on to what just happened to it. It moved on. Mm. And yeah, and there's a physical, there's a physiological part of that. Right. So um, Emily Nagowski and Amelia Nagowski, they're sisters. And actually, when I think about books and things that I recommend all the time, Emily Nagowski's book is called Come As You Are. And I just think everyone should read it. It talks, it really explains so much about sexuality especially for sexual for sexuality in folks who are estrogen dominant um and so i think that is just such a good book um and so they yeah. wrote as they are sisters and they wrote a book called burnout um and they talk about the stress response cycle and they talk all the time about how physical activity and exercise is such a cru crucial critical part of completing a stress response cycle um, because we don't get to run away from our boss yelling at us. We don't get to run right. away from the pandemic. Um, right. so, but you can treat the stress without treating the stressor. So you can continue to complete the stress response and let it go from your body. Um, even if the, the stressor, the thing that's causing that stress is continues on. Yeah, that is so cool. And and two, I took a stress physiology class now that we're talking about this um, in my master's program. And one other thing I learned too about the physiology of stress is that um, based on like hormones that either go up or down during the stress response, once that stressor is gone, the first thing that your body needs, one of the first things is food and energy, you know, restoration and eating. And I feel like that also can be so tricky. So like to, to be very open and share, like I have an eating disorder. And so for me, like, not only is that a stressor, but I also then have a very difficult time nourishing my body to then complete, like you said, that stress cycle um, so that you can move on from that. Um, so, wow, very cool. I'm learning a lot about stress physiology. Um, it takes me back to my master's days. Uh, so, so you've both been so open about kind of your own experiences. So I would love to hear too, like, how do you manage your own mental health while also trying to care for your patients? What do you do to, to, uh, to deal with it? And actually it's, it makes me laugh because a lot of times people are like, oh, just do yoga. But it's like, Ivana, for you, maybe that actually really is helpful. So <laughs> I would love to hear more about your own like self-care routines and how you take care of yourself. Uh um yeah so first and foremost you gotta get some dog cuddles i feel like <laughs> yeah. i'm just a new person yes. after i cuddle for like an animal um <laughs> honestly to be just yeah completely frank uh yeah i love yoga obviously um i've dedicated a pretty hefty chunk of my life to it but um the most difficult part of yoga for me is the stillness um and that's one of the things that I spend a pretty decent amount of time at the end of a, any type of yoga class um, before leading into Shavasana um, because honestly, it's the hardest pose. You can stand on your head, you can curl yourself up into a pretzel and that's all fine and dandy. But yeah. for me, and I think that for a lot of people, that is honestly the hardest pose. Um, and it's one that I had to work a very long time at. And I mean, it, even, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of yoga teacher training, and I would just dread it. 
just absolutely dread that moment and I didn't care what else we did. Uh, but being still and being alone with myself and my thoughts was something that was really terrifying to me. And it's just yeah. one of those things, you know, the, the bringing it back to yoga, the pose you hate the most is the one you need the most. And just like any <laughs> of our patients, exercise you hate the most, it's the one you need the most. And that's why you hate it. And so finding for me, um, any type of, I mean, it, it, for anybody else it could be like, you know, painting or running or, you know, med any other meditation or singing or whatever it is that gives you a second to kind of be alone with yourself and be honest, you know, be honest with yourself and, you know, why do I feel the way that I feel and what am I going to do about it? And it's okay that I feel that way and I'm, I'm okay for feeling that way, but now what am I going to do? And yeah, being, being still is not, it's not easy. So no, it's not. Working. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Christina, is there anything that you do in particular to take care of yourself while taking care of others? Um, well, now I'm just thinking about how I need to spend more time running towards stillness and stop using being busy to run away from my own stuff. So thanks again for that, Ivana. Um, that's <laughs> yeah, up at night, I have no doubt. Um, typically, I spend a lot of time just reflecting in terms of and like what Ivana said, in terms of being honest and allowing myself, because I think we spend a lot of time pushing down feelings, especially, I think a lot of the time, especially in pelvic health, actually, because I think there's this narrative that um, if you get too close to your patients, it's a problem with your boundaries. Um, mm. So if your patients' stories and hardship and trauma are impacting you, it's a problem with mm -hmm. you and your boundaries, not a problem with like, really anything else. Um, the problem with that is that it doesn't allow you to grieve and it doesn't allow you to process through through the things that are coming up for you. Um, so right. I try to give myself a lot of time to do that. I was actually listening to a talk yesterday um, about sudden loss and grief um, mm -hmm. and that can be associated with that. Uh, and right now we're going through this time where we are all, I think collectively are grieving something. We're kind of like grieving honestly, there are a lot of things we could be grieving. Um, and to not talk about it and to not leave space somewhere in our lives doesn't help us move through it. It keeps us stuck. Um, and so for me, a lot of it is just being open about the things that I feel. And, and I am open with my patients and I don't make it about me. And I, there's a way to do mm -hmm. it. It can be therapeutic in a way to do it. It's not. Um, mm -hmm. But I do, I, right now, a lot of people are in a lot of pain physically and emotionally. And sometimes it's really hard to differentiate which is which. Um, and so I just tell people like, look, we are living in this very um, trying and challenging time. And I just want to be honest and validate like that your feelings about this are normal. And then I try and do the same thing for myself. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So both of you brought up a lot of like self-reflection, kind of being still with yourself, looking inwards, and then being able to serve other people uh, by doing that. So I think that's really great. Um, so going into uh, a couple of questions, again, that came in um, from my Instagram community, I was wondering, do you have any tips for students or new grads on maybe things to avoid um, so as not to maybe worsen a person's body image, how they see themselves or how they see their potential for recovery? So um, things like 
not to answer the question myself, but things like microaggressions and racism or um, using the wrong pronouns or refusing to use the right pronouns, things like that. Anything that you can think of in our language or our body language that we should maybe be more attentive to. I think a lot talking about weight is really important and it does come up a lot, especially in the healthcare field. And even if you're not directly bringing it up, um, someone, I will almost guarantee you that some medical provider at some point has made a patient who is a, like who, a fat patient has made them feel bad about being fat. Um, yeah. and they, they're going to bring that into every, every encounter that will act, dissuade lots and lots of people from getting care in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an awful idea that people don't seek the care that they need and deserve because they're afraid that they're going to be um, put down, discriminated against, made to feel shameful, um, which are all which are similar to the reasons that we also want to avoid microaggressions and racism. Right. Same. Yeah. So and miss miss using the wrong pronouns. Um, so I think just being really aware of that and also being very aware of the privilege you bring into a situation. One mm-hmm. from provider in the first place and then also the body that you hold what privilege what privilege do you bring in with you because of that alone um and being honest with yourself about that and being willing to be honest with a patient about that too if it comes up yeah can i ask you a follow-up on that so um if if a patient does come in and say like oh so and so told me this and this is how i feel now about my body like how do you undo and help patients unlearn some of that messaging without you know, saying anything that might step on the toes of another provider or might put another provider down. Right. Without throwing someone else under the bus. Um, That's a good question. And it's something that I sometimes very much struggle with because I get very mad at other providers using (laughs) big language and making my patients feel anything other than as wonderful as Ivana has told us all that we are. So (laughs) um, I... I will just say what I know. I try to then stick to the facts. I'm like, I have not read any research that suggests that that thing is true. Mm. Um, And in fact, what I know clinically, what I've seen it throughout my patients is that this other thing is true. So, um, Mm. and I try and reframe it in terms of that. I will say, you know, I, I bring everything back to the nervous system all the time. So I'll say like, could because we could absolutely talk about how increased adipose tissue um, can be inflammatory, right? And so I'm happy. That's a that's a fact. And I am very comfortable talking about that. And I will tell people, you know, that can be a contributor to a nervous system that is going to produce, give you pain as the output. Um, mm-hmm. But it's most of the time, not the primary driver. And so what is, we need to find out what the primary driver is so we can treat that. And we can treat all these other things, change all these other things that can change your symptoms, regardless of whether or not the amount of adipose tissue you have changes. I love that. I, yeah, you know, it's never, it's never a kosher to throw another medical provider under the bus. And so typically um, just personally, I kind of am like, well, I don't not. I don't know. I, I kind of am just like, oh, well, I don't know exactly what they meant by that, but maybe what they meant was this because this is how this works. Or maybe mm-hmm. they meant to say this because this is how this is. And so, you know, not necessarily saying, well, like, yeah, no, they're wrong, but showing them, well, like, this is how this works. So maybe, maybe they just misspoke because, you know, this is how this is and this is what we're going to do. And then giving them the opportunity while you're in physical therapy to show how what you will do will benefit 
the issue that they're having. And so, yes. you know, that's, that's your time to shine. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not, they're not in that office anymore. They're not in that other, with that other uh, clinician anymore. And now it's your time to show them what you can do to help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that gets into one of the last questions I have here too, is um, this is pretty vague, uh, but if you could just talk a little bit about um, being a person who is for like body acceptance and positivity and professionalism, um, how our view and practice of professionalism within our profession has changed over time. And um, that can look like anything, honestly, the way you communicate with your patients, the way you are online. Um, is there anything that comes to mind on that topic for you? I mean, TikTok has like really pushed my boundaries on professionalism for sure. <laughs> um, before I was very hesitant to like, I don't, I don't know. I had these ideas about what I should look like, how I should dress, how I should speak mm -hmm. about things, um, that I should never be negative, that I should never use foul language, which is sort of funny because in my personal life, that is, I don't hold any of those things, those ideas. Um, and so once I had that sort of like culturally, culturally appropriate, like the cultural check mark of you can be sassy and, you know, um, use language that you wouldn't necessarily use in the clinic and you can wear whatever you want. Um, that totally changed the way that I talk about pelvic floor physical therapy in general. Um, mm -hmm. I was afraid it would, it would put people off, but I think if anything, it's made it way more accessible to people, um, which has been really awesome. Like yeah. I think that's why the engagement has grown is because I, I'm not doing anything different in terms of the things that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the same mm -hmm. stuff. I'm just talking about it in a way that is a little bit, edgier um in regards mm -hmm. to professionalism and when people are coming in and talking to you about painful sex and peeing their pants and things like that they want to know that you're a human being um right. so yeah it's changed a lot for me yeah and i've seen too in the comments under your post too people asking you so many different questions people asking you where you are so they can come see you too and, and you be their provider so i definitely think that you are absolutely exceeding that goal of making it more accessible and making it so that people um, I've seen a lot of people say like, oh my gosh, I had no clue on like X, Y, Z subject. Um, and I, I just love seeing that online. Um, Ivana, anything to add about professionalism? I know that like the clinic I was in with you, everybody's pretty goofy and it, patients really love that. So, um, is there anything for you that you feel like has changed over the years? Any advice you'd want to give anyone? Um, I remember when I was in school, uh, during practicals, with my mock patient and specifically remembering my director behind me saying, well, you wouldn't actually say that to a patient, would you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I probably would. Um, I, there's certain subjects that I don't, you know, there's certain subjects that I just don't hit um, in the clinic. You know, we're not gonna talk about religion. We're not really gonna talk about politics. We're, there's things that I won't engage with with you. If you'd like to speak to, about them, then okay. But uh, there are certain things that I'm just not gonna uh, engage in for the sake of, um, again, this is a safe space for anybody that walks in and I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, but, right. uh, yeah, you know, just like you said, I'm a human and you're coming to me in a very vulnerable state and you're coming to me feeling a little insecure and you're coming to me with some pain and you don't want a robot. You want to know that you can, uh, you know, shoot the shit with me and you can joke with me and I can joke with you. And when I want to build that rapport with you, because this is who I am as a person, but at the same time, I'm going to push 
issue. And I feel like if we don't have that rapport, then when I tell you that that squat was crap and you can do better than that, you're not going <laughs> to want to do that. So you know, right. you're, we're stuck together for quite some time and we're, we're with you for several weeks at a time. And so let's just make the best of it. And I can't, I'm not good at being fake and I don't want to be fake with you because I need you to be honest with me. So here I am. Take it or leave it. <laughs> I love that. All right. Last question I've got for both of you um, before we sign off for the night is uh, if you could go back and give your student self one piece of advice, um, it can be on the topic of body image or not. What would that be? You really do know more than you think you know. And the thing that is going to change things for your patient isn't how much you know in the first place. It's how much you care. I love it. Mm -hmm. Be confident. Just be confident. Love it. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Honestly, I feel like I could talk to y'all all night <laughs> about this stuff. But um, if people want to keep the conversation going, where can they find you? How do they reach out? Yeah, Instagram is by far the best way to reach out to me. Um, I'm on TikTok, but I really mostly use it for content creation. So please don't send me DMs there. There's, it's a scary place. <laughs> Um, but my Instagram handle is my name, Christina, K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A dot Holland. Um, and then you could also email me if that's better for you, Christina at inclusivecarellc.com. All right. Yeah, my um, Instagram is Ivana Salazar, all lowercase, I-V-A-N-A-S-A-L-A-Z-A-R. Um, feel free to shoot me a follow and be bombarded with pictures of my dog. I am um, really afraid of dogs, and I love Ivana's dog. Very, very cute dog. I know. So, I, yeah. I love her. That's also true. Uh, highly recommend following both of these wonderful human beings. Thank you both so much for being here tonight. Seriously, it just means the world to me, and I know it means a lot to the audience as well. So really, really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who joined in tonight. Um, take care and be safe. See you all next time. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.